Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. What did the general do with his armies? I don't know. He put them in his sleeveys. I'm Rico Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. And from American Public Media, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that equips you to win your next dinner party. Our icebreaker this week came from Stuart McLam of the quite cool band Love Language. They're touring now. And coming up, Portlandia's Carrie Brownstein, Murdered Moose, The Birth of Forks, and Toon Yards Mean Business. But first, we start with small talk. So, Brendan, this week the news was all about a return to the Reagan era. Wait a second. I thought that was last week when we celebrated his 100th birthday. No, this is bigger than that. This is like the whole world. Okay. For instance, as in the Reagan era, Libya is in the headlines, except instead of us attacking Gaddafi in Libya, Gaddafi's attacking Libyans in Libya. (laughs) I'm having like junior high school flashbacks here. But wait, there's more. Okay. Uh, Reagan busted the airline unions. Now governors in Wisconsin and Ohio are trying to bust most of the other public unions. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Now, if they just had parachute pants and like big-shouldered <laughs> suits, it would be the 80s all over again. I want to see Governor Walker in like one of those big-collar flash dance T-shirts that exposes the shoulder. He's going to win that next election <laughs> with that. Like a little Z Cavaricci action. <laughs> what? Remember Z Cavaricci? You're not from... With the big MC Hammer pants. The original. <laughs> <laughs> that in the flash dance shirt, and he's in. Uh, and finally, this weekend, we're going to celebrate the Rubik's Cube. What? Really? Yes, it's <laughs> called Inception, and it'll probably win Best Screenplay at the Oscars oh, on right. Sunday. Yeah, I didn't see it. Well, that's weird. It's actually a lot like the Cube because it's not really that great. <laughs> All right, noted. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, for some lesser-known headlines from the present day, yes. we turn to our colleagues at Marketplace. <laughs> Jennifer Collins, reporter, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? So Blockbuster, you know, it filed for bankruptcy, and apparently it still owes a lot of the movie studios a ton of money, millions of dollars, right? All right. So to get their money back, the movie studios are, are basically saying, uh, pay us these fees, or at least could you please just give the DVDs back? So wait, Blockbuster is being hounded to pay fees and return videos? It's kind of karmic, is it not? Revenge is sweet. Adrian Hill, sustainability reporter for Marketplace. What story are you going to be talking about this weekend? Well, in England right now, they're cutting the budget. But in England, there's this big fight over what's a job and what's a (laughs) non-job. What is a non-job? Well, newspapers are calling these non-jobs, and they're things like walking coordinator, roller disco coach, cheerleading development officer, and bouncy castle attendant, which I would just like to submit my application for. I support bouncy castles, but I do think you could probably get volunteers for cheerleader development coaching. I was just a guess. You could be right. (laughs) Ethan Lindsay, Morning Report producer, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? I'm going to talk about the robot marathon. It's the first ever in Japan, and I can't even say those words without smiling. The robot marathon. It's actually robots like running to beat each other. A bunch of robots running 26.2 miles. Uh, They're doing it in tandem with the Tokyo Marathon that actual humans run in. Uh, Four days, robots running in a big circle. This is actually, you know, I think smart for humanity because whatever robot wins, that's the one we destroy. (laughs) Get it out of the way first. That's right. I've seen the Terminator. (laughs) Let's nip this thing in the bud. And now, time for cocktails. Once again, we tell you something that happened this week in history, then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like history is a little plastic mermaid hooked on the rim of a cocktail glass. It's cute. (laughs) That makes history a lot smaller than I imagined it. It's a very tiny 
thing. Not very comforting. Anyway, first, here's the story. This week, back in 1983, a legendary play opened on Broadway. And not legendary in a good way. Our friend Michelle Philippi is here to tell you about it. Way before Spider-Man the Musical, there was The Moose Murders. The show was a mystery-slash-farce written by a guy named Arthur Bicknell. Today, theatergoers remember it fondly as the biggest flop in Broadway history. The signs were there even before opening night. Originally, the play was supposed to feature movie star Eve Arden, her first Broadway appearance in 40 years. After the first preview, she quit. Arden was replaced, but to judge by the reviews, the script should have been too. According to The New Yorker, the show, quote, would insult the intelligence of an audience consisting entirely of amoebas. And The New York Times imagined audience members would hold, quote, periodic reunions in the noble tradition of survivors of the Titanic. The Moose Murders lasted one day. Its opening night was also its closing night. But the show has achieved showbiz immortality. It's still invoked as the standard by which all flops are judged. As for Bicknell, he's made peace with the play. A couple years back, he told the Times he's writing a book about it. In his own words, quote, if you can't redeem, exploit. So that was the history. Now for the drink to serve with it. I am talking with Jason Woodruff, bar manager at Joe Allen's, a longtime hangout for the theater community in New York City. Jason, uh, first of all, I understand that Joe Allen's has a wall commemorating Broadway flops. Is that right? Yes, we're the only place in or around Broadway that celebrates the failures of the Broadway stage. So it's like half the wall, just a giant Moose Murders poster? Well, it does have a place of honor up near the front of the restaurant, but we've got about 50 or so other flops that are framed on the wall. All right, so we've clearly come to the right place. What drink have you come up with? Well, um, in honor of a show that never had a repeat performance, we thought we'd give you a drink that no one in their right mind would ever want to see again after they had one. <laughs> We've named it the Murdered Moose. All right, I'm a little afraid, but what's in this thing? Two ounces of black Sambuca. All right. It's already a problem. Yeah, for some. Uh, add to that one half ounce of Rose's lime juice. <laughs> One half ounce of olive juice. Oh, my God. You chill that and pour it into a martini glass with a salted rim and garnish it with an onion and a cherry. <laughs> I like that at one point you have to chill it. Yes. Like, that's going to help. Well, chilling will numb the taste buds just a little bit so you can get it down. Rico, your father was a drama professor and a playwright. Yeah. Why are things always dying on Broadway? <laughs> Moose, salesman. Potentially the actors in this new Spider-Man production. It's just outrageous. They're, they're not dying so much as being tortured in a wire harness about the stage. It's blood sport, I tell you. Folks, uh, Jason made another Moose Murders drink you might actually want to serve at a dinner party. The recipe is at dinnerpartydownload.org. guest of honor this week is Carrie Brownstein. She stars with Fred Armisen in the new sketch comedy show Portlandia. She is also the former guitarist for the revered band Sleater Kinney. Here's a clip from the show where she and Armisen are at a coffee shop getting competitive 
about their reading habits. Did you read that thing in Mother Jones about eco chairs and eco ways to sit? I did. Yeah. I did. Did you read that thing in Spain about all the festivals? Uh-huh. Did you read that thing in Pace? It was about the National. Oh, I saw that. Did you read that thing in Dwell about all the mid-century houses? Yeah. Did you read the New York Times? Yes. The New York Observer? Yes. Washington Post? Yes. Wall Street Journal? Of course I read it. Did you read that steampunk article in Boing Boing? I did not like the end of it. Did you read that skywriting over the Willamette River? Yes. Did you read the fortune cookie? Yes. From last night? Yes. Sounds yes. so <laughs> familiar to me. Uh, you know, Carrie, your show was created to satirize your hometown of Portland, but it really skewers kind of a certain progressive, overprecious, liberal artsy, you know, subset of the population that you can find anywhere, right? I think so. I mean, I, there was a question at the beginning, you know, will this show appeal to people outside of Portland? We intuitively felt like it would, but we weren't sure. And then, of course, once the episode started airing, Portland turned out to be a city that was watching it a lot less than other <laughs> cities, um, mostly because people here can't afford cable and, <laughs> and don't have uh, IFC. You can't dumpster dive cable. You can't. Why do you think a show like this hasn't been done before? It, that's a good question. This is a conversation that's been going on for a while among liberals and progressives and hipsters. Is I think what's What's happened is it's reached a tipping point where we're all starting to wonder, what does this mean? Is this actually a worthwhile way of living? So I think the show happens to have come in right at a time where people are not just living this lifestyle, but also sort of self-critiquing it. No, the humor is definitely low-hanging, organic fruit, uh, (laughs) in part because the culture it's skewering is so self-aware. You know, but I wonder why that should be. Why do they have to be uptight about who they are? They're they're good-intentioned. Part of it is just that it's just such a kind of metaculture, sort of hyper-analytical. And so you're aware of the silliness to it, even though you're just completely prescribing to the, to the lifestyle. It's like you're, you're trying to do good, but then you're aware that there's certain ways that you're, you have to be good. And in some ways, at least for me, that creates a little bit of a contrarian nature. Sometimes I just get so frustrated that I just want to litter and drive an SUV <laughs> and, you know, just carry plastic bags everywhere. I mean, it, it just can get so overwhelming. And I think that at the same time, when, when we're attacked by people we perceive as outsiders, we'll defend it, you know, endlessly. Well, look, we have two standard questions on our show. The first question is, what question are you tired of being asked uh, in interviews or at dinner parties, for that matter? <clears throat> I think questions that ask me to describe, uh, especially music. So what does your band sound like? Yeah. I mean please just listen to it. The album sounds like the album sounds like the album. I mean, you start to sound like Gertrude Stein, but it's just like, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, our last question is, tell us something we don't know either about you or the world at large. Something that you may not know about me is that I am a little bit superstitious because things happen to me that are weird. So <laughs> I was out walking in the forest with my dog Okay. and I've lost my cell phone. I get home, I still had a home phone, and my father called and he said, um, someone's found your phone. They called me. You know, they looked up dad and they called my dad. So I drove out and picked up my phone from this couple and brought them a bottle of wine and thanked them and just said, you know, gosh, you've saved me so much trouble. Eight months later, I was out on the same walk mm-hmm. and um, I find a cell phone. So I call and I talk to this woman and I'm like, I have your cell phone. She's like, okay, well, come meet me. And she picks this like strip mall to go meet her outside of. And I pull up next to her car and it's the same woman that found my phone. <laughs> oh and my goodness. Stuff yeah. like that happens to me all the time. Don't leave me hanging. Did she bring you a bottle of wine or what? She brought me chocolates. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So Rico, I don't know if it's a coincidence, but I find it interesting yeah. that with her earnest, proudly feminist rock band Sleater Kinney, of course. Carrie created the culture that she now critiques. I don't coincidence. It's more like a master plan. Exactly. <laughs> Next up is going to be like a documentary on the dangers of satire. A documentary on satires about subculture. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have no master plan here. You can tell us what to do next at dinnerpartydownload.org. Public transport and recycling. Shopping local and always biking. You just heard from our guest of honor. Now it's time for the main course, the part of the show where we talk about food. And Brendan, it's caveman time. I know, man. Those The budget battle in Washington is brutal. <laughs> They're cutting to the bone. No, I'm talking about uh, something else. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, it's about food. Yes. Street <laughs> food specifically and restaurants inspired by it. Because of those things, we're doing a lot of eating with our hands. See, I never got this. Time. I don't think of it as eating with my hands. Yeah. I think of my hands as God sporks. You know? <laughs> That's unusual. <laughs> but that does actually bring me to my story. Strangely. <laughs> okay. Uh, up in San Francisco at the California Academy of Sciences Museum, they've got a huge collection of eating utensils from the last several centuries. So when I was so, up- so do I in my kitchen, actually. <laughs> those are, I think those are new. They're just not clean. <laughs> oh, they're okay. So uh, when I was up in San Francisco a few weeks back, I spoke with the senior collections manager, Russell Hartman, to ask him this. Why do we even need tools to eat with. It seems like we could rip apart anything that we needed to rip apart as long as it wasn't too hot, and we could drink everything else out of a bowl. In theory, you're absolutely right, and that's where we began. (laughs) I think it comes not out of need so much, but out of vanity, where you think you need something more sophisticated. It really is just a matter of social grace. That's how we developed utensils. You could probably boil it down to social grace, yes. I mean, a spoon is a common universal tool, but the more high-polished society members have a different spoon for every type of food. <laughs> so would I therefore take that like the first utensils would have been designed for or by kings or something like that? The knives, forks, and spoons that we think of in that we use today, yes, they very much came in with very high-class people or rich people. So take me back. What is the first utensil? The first utensil probably would have been a simple stick. But uh, as people got more sophisticated, they'd carve a bone knife or a stone knife. Later on, you know, the fork, for instance, goes back to the time of the Greeks already. But it took centuries and centuries for it to come to modern-day Europe. Why was that? Because the reaction was, why do we need this? We have our hands. (laughs) (laughs) And it was looked upon as affectation that you need a fancy fork. Now, the biggest example I can think of of a culture that doesn't use the fork would obviously be Asian cultures that use chopsticks. Why do we get the fork and Asian cultures get chopsticks? Well, partly because China and the Eastern Asian countries were for so long closed to trade and contact with the outside, so they didn't have that exposure. Because the fork and knife begins in, you know, Greece. Right, because it starts outside of Asian countries. All right, you picked a few items out of the collection for us to talk about. We're running a little low on time. Can you just uh, pick one? All right. Well, this is a dinner knife. Uh, It's English from the late 1700s. It's got your standard steel blade knife. But as you can see, the tip of the knife blade curves upward, almost like a pistol handle. Or like a wooden shoe in Holland. (laughs) Uh, yes, you could see that in there, too. Uh, the reason for this is because at one point uh, there were too many knifings going on at the dinner table in the courts. <laughs> so one of the English kings forbade any pointed knives being at the dinner table. 
Are you serious? He rounded the knife so people wouldn't stab each other at dinner? Exactly. So much for the idea of the knife and fork coming into use by classy people. <laughs> A uh, contradiction in history, what can I say? And Brandon, just so you know, we did talk about the spork. Oh, okay. <laughs> he said it hasn't become popular because it's practical, like for camping, but it's it's not elegant, so it doesn't appeal to the sense of vanity. I can get that. It, it looks a little too much like a hand, like a little disembodied <laughs> hand in your hand. <laughs> that you're eating <laughs> which, with? Yeah, which is kind of gross. Ew. And that's the way I feel after a 12-cost year when I feel like I'm about to burst. Well, that's how me right. <laughs> That's the dinner party download for this week, folks. Thanks to Jackson Musker, Ravi Carmen, Charlton Thorpe, and even Leah Tro. And we leave you now with One for the Road, a song to listen to on your way to or departing from this weekend's dinner party. The band is called Tune Yards. The excellent song is called The Business. That's with a Z in the middle. Bon appetit.
I'm Rico Galliano. And I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. Hey guys, the radio reviews for Dinner Party Download are in. Cool. Great, let's take a look. I don't know what question I'm tired of being asked, but I can tell you two questions I'm tired of hearing asked. Ouch. Terry Gross. All right, let me see. This show's theme, imposters. Act one, corny jokes. Act two, news you can't use. Mm. Act three, maybe if these guys talk like me, I'd consider listening to them. Ira Glass. Yeah. Uh, what did the car talk guy say? Uh, let's see. Two guys laughing a lot at their own jokes. It'll never work.